Welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. This is a podcast intended to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm host Ben James, and every week I lead you through the lessons in a way that is intended to help you better understand the scriptures, make you think about important questions, and strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. You can also find the video version of these lessons on my YouTube channel, titled 29th Floor Sunday School. If you find these lessons useful, please consider becoming a subscriber. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, welcome to 29th Floor Sunday School. Glad you can join me as we together study the Come Follow Me lesson for November 30th through December 6th. This week we will be discussing Moroni chapters 1 through 6. Well, here in Hong Kong, we had another week without church, unfortunately, as cases continue to rise. In fact, there's uh, a COVID case in my building, the building that I live in, as I uh, found out earlier today. And there's also, in the building I work in, there's people who have uh, tested positive for COVID. So uh, COVID is back with a vengeance here in Hong Kong, uh, but uh, the numbers pale in comparison by what's going on in the U.S., so... I hope uh, everyone, especially those that are especially or potentially vulnerable, uh, stays safe. Hopefully we're almost through this. We can get back to life as normal uh, with vaccines on the horizon, but uh, we'll see. And we'll see what this new normal is going to look like. I think uh, it'll be interesting. And that's, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on that uh, somewhat in, in today's lesson. Um, today's lesson is uh, kind of interesting. We only cover three pages uh, in the actual uh, English version of the Book of Mormon. Um, and we're actually going to read a lot of those today. So uh, the lesson, I'm not quite sure how long it's going to take, but I, I don't quite have uh, as much material as I normally uh, have. So this one could potentially be uh, a little shorter, depending on how, how things go. I never really know uh, how long I'm going to go on for um, once uh, before the lesson starts, but it seems like I always tend to hit around the hour range. We'll, we'll see how this one goes. Uh, but I think one of the interesting things about this lesson is, well, there's so many of them. One, Moroni did not expect to be here to write this. Uh, and we've said this, we've gotten hints from this several times as he began Ether. It looked like uh, he, he had previously tried to wrap things up as he finished his father's record in, in the Book of Mormon. Uh, but you kind of got the feeling, well, he was still around anyway, so he was going to, you know, simplify and translate, uh, the, the, or, or at least uh, add, the translation uh, of the Book of Ether that had been provided. So he goes ahead and he, he drops that in there. But, but now in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, he explicitly tells us, I, I didn't expect to be here, so I'm going to just add a few uh, ideas that I think are, are very important. And the ideas that he adds are, are interesting. Uh, we get, uh, you know, after he gives kind of an introduction in chapter 1, he talks about uh, how you receive the power to give the gift of the Holy Ghost, how you ordain uh, priests and, uh, and teachers, how we administer the sacrament, and the right way to run a church, at least the, the basics that the church should be focused on. Um, and so, again, it's so interesting that of all the things Moroni could talk about, he, he probably assumes that he doesn't have much left longer. He's kind of going all over the place, trying to avoid getting caught by the Lamanites. Um, but those are the few things that he, he focuses on. 
And as I was preparing and trying to, you know, get, get in the spirit and try to really, you know, in some ways it's guessing, but, you know, trying to think, why would Moroni include this information in here? You know, one, one possibility, we'll just call it that, one possibility that, that occurred to me is, you know, this is a Moroni. We're not exactly sure. We don't have a lot of details of his life. Uh, his father was rather old when his father died. Uh, meaning Moroni was probably, I'm going to guess, probably about my age uh, when his father passed away and he took uh, the control of the records, so probably 40 or so. Just kind of speculation, but we can calculate how old uh, Mormon was as his record progressed. And, you know, assuming Mormon was about 20 or so when, when uh, he fathered uh, Moroni, that's, uh, you know, kind of a guess is that he's probably about my age, and so he's kind of wandering around, he's seen his society destroyed, you know, he, he you, you wonder what his church experience actually has been in his life, because again, these, these verses are, these few chapters are focused on how a church should be operating, and it's a good bet Moroni hasn't been to church in a while, uh, because his whole society was destroyed, and he is literally wandering around, uh, you know, Central America, North America, wherever he is at, uh, trying to avoid being detected by the Lamanites so they don't kill him. So he's by himself. He does not have this community, this body of Christ around him. And I picture this Moroni wandering around thinking about, of all the things that I could leave behind, what would be most important? And Moroni, of all people, recognizes the importance of a church body, of meeting together, of bearing testimony, of taking the sacrament together. These are all things that the Savior instituted while he came and visited the Nephites. But let's also remember this is, Moroni is 400 plus years AD. So Christ came to visit them 400 years before him. I mean, this is the time between, you know, as an American, between we, me right now and the pilgrims arriving. 400 years is a really, really long time. Um, so, you know, Moroni was certainly not there for that. And that was long, 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 many hundreds of years before him. So he's taking the teachings that Christ gave that have been preserved and preserved for hundreds of years about a church very possible that while he was young, uh, before his society was destroyed, that they had a church. I mean, we, we know that they did by reading uh, Mormon's record. Uh, chances are that church struggled. Uh, it, it certainly didn't do its job of preserving uh, a righteous people uh, because the people were eventually destroyed during Moroni's lifetime. So Moroni has seen a church that did not do what it was intended to do. And we've talked about religion before and the purpose of religion being, uh, among other things, to take generational wisdom and knowledge, package it in a way that is understandable and easily transmittable, and then passing that down from generation to generation. Well, if that's what religion is, 
than a church, which is a, a body of similarly uh, religiously minded people. Uh, the purpose of a church is to provide a vehicle or a body through which uh, those religious notions can be passed down. And also a religious community can come together and strengthen each other to further those teachings that are the fundamental aspect of that religion. And so to the extent the teachings of Christ were to, uh, and the religion of Jesus Christ, Christianity is intended to teach people to, to love one another, to repent, uh, to, to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. The church that Moroni grew up in failed spectacularly because the Nephites were destroyed and they were destroyed because of their wickedness. So Moroni, it, it seems like he has never seen a good example of what a church is supposed to be like. All he's seen is this bad example that, that failed as a church. And so here he is, having seen that bad example, and we don't have all the details as to why the church failed. We have some of them. Uh, if nothing else, pride was involved, as it always is. They let secret combinations get into their society and get into their church. Uh, but, you know, we, we, again, we question. We don't know if Moroni's ever seen an example of a good, functioning church. And in some ways, that can be a huge benefit, especially coming from someone who's righteous as Moroni, who is a true follower of Christ, who has had special visitations from Jesus Christ, as he's told us. He's able to strip down the, unnecess the, the unnecessary aspects of a church. And I think we as Latter-day Saints, that is very important for us. Uh, and it's a lesson that is so, so relevant to us today as well, because I think we've seen that happen within the past year. We've seen various aspects of our uh, religious life and religious society basically broken down and stripped away as we try to comply and protect our members uh, from coronavirus. And so we, we've had various aspects of, uh, you know, different social meetings, uh, you know, very, you know, everything socially related, uh, basically taken away and stripped down to what should be the bare fundamentals. Whether or not we've been successful as a people in actually doing that, uh, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll talk here later uh, in a few minutes also about some of the challenges in the, uh, from my mind, uh, severe limitations uh, that we as a church are subject to as we try uh, to keep it to the bare minimum and rely upon technologies that are there. I think uh, we've done the best we can, but there are uh, severe limitations in our ability to do so, shall we say. Uh, but Again, as we read Moroni and try to understand why he is preserving these things, it's so important to put into context where he's at, what he is doing, try to best understand what it is he's seen, and what is it about his experience that would lead him to take the records and, and his knowledge and his understandings and say, look, this is the last thing I'm going to write, before the Lamanites find me, before I'm killed, what is the most relevant thing that I can write that will be of the most benefit to the people, to the body of Christ, to the church of Jesus Christ in a later day 
when they actually have access to these things. And, and this is what Moroni has written down for us. And as we study these, that's, that's the mentality that I, that I want to take to them is, why is Moroni telling us this? What was it about Moroni's church that lacked these basic things that did not allow it, uh, did not give it su sufficient uh, capability to overcome the challenges and the trials that the Nephites of his day were facing because his church obviously did not. Uh, it was not able to help the members remain righteous enough uh, in order to ward off the wickedness from the society around them. And we are members of a church that, that claims that we are going to, we have promises that we are going to make it, uh, that we are not going to be like the Nephite church, but that we will resist the wickedness and the temptation uh, that is around us. We will not forget uh, the basics of Jesus Christ. And uh, hopefully Moroni's teachings are going to be a big part of helping us to do that as we, again, strip away the fluff, strip away the, the various teachings, uh, the culture, the, the different things that often distract us from the most basic and the most fundamental, fundamental aspects of a functioning body of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so let's start with chapter one, Moroni's kind of introduction to his final few words. And we'll go with uh, chapter one, verses, uh, verses two through three. For behold, their wars are exceedingly fierce among themselves, and because of their hatred, they put to death every Nephite that will not deny the Christ. And I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. Wherefore, I wander whithersoever I can for the safety of mine own life. I love how he starts with this powerful testimony. I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. And I remember in seminary, you know, many years ago, my teacher told us to put our name above Moroni's name. I, Ben, will not deny the Christ. Now, fortunately, I don't have... Uh, you know, violent enemies who threaten to murder me if I will not deny the Christ. Uh, but it's certainly worth asking yourself, you know, how far would you go? How far would you go? And that's not an easy question. I think sometimes we somewhat flippantly say like, oh, of course I would not deny the Christ. I would give up my life. Well, you know, I'm a father with four kids depending on me. I want to see them grow up. But at the same time, I'm not going to deny Christ. So this is, this is a difficult question. Uh, was Moroni by himself? Was his family with him? Or were his wife and kids all killed? That's as far as we can tell. Um, so, you know, Moroni's situation is different than ours. If, if you've ever felt like, you know, that's kind of crazy that, you know, <laughs> we're in a church society in which people kind of flippantly say, like, I would... I would never, you know, at gunpoint, I would, I would not deny the truthfulness of the church or my testimony of Christ. Well, we want to have that conviction. Uh, but I think, I think our testimony is, is not in the words that we say at the time that uh, we might be threatened. Our testimony comes through the actions that we take each and every day to show the world that we will not deny the Christ. Uh, our, our testimony does not come through in, you know, kind of ridiculous uh, uh, hypotheticals, uh, but rather each day when you're confronted with some temptation 
to do something that you know is not right, that's when we have the opportunity to not deny the Christ, to follow Moroni's example. Um, and so, like Moroni, we wander whithersoever we can for the safety of our own life, our own, our own spiritual lives. Chapter 2. Um, oh, actually, actually, before we get to chapter 2, I apologize. Uh, let's do read verse 4. Wherefore, I write a few more things contrary to that which I had supposed, for I had supposed not to have written any more. But I write a few more things that perhaps they may be of worth unto my brethren the Lamanites in some future day according to the will of the Lord. I uh, just want to stop and comment on the generosity of Moroni. He's writing this for the future Lamanites. Uh, of course, you know, we're included. He says that he's seen us. He, he told us that earlier that Jesus Christ had shown us to him. But he's very explicit here. He's writing this to the Lamanites, those same people that have murdered his family, murdered his father, and destroyed his society. He's writing this to them that hopefully it will be of benefit to them. So uh, an act of great generosity and great faith uh, as well from Moroni. All right, chapter 2. Um, verses, uh, let's just go ahead and read in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the words of Christ which he had spoken unto his disciples, the twelve, whom he had chosen as he laid hands upon them. And he called them by name, saying, Ye shall call on the Father in my name in mighty prayer. And after ye have done this, ye shall have power, that to him upon whom ye shall lay your hands, ye shall give the Holy Ghost. And in my name shall ye give it, for thus do mine apostles." So, first thing that he comments on is he's determined to show us what are the fundamentals, what are the most basic aspects uh, of a church uh, focused on Jesus Christ that will do what is necessary in order to help its members uh, keep on the straight and narrow. First, you've got to have the Holy Ghost. And in order to get the Holy Ghost, you need people who are worthy and who have the authority uh, to give the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, interestingly, uh, that uh, Moroni tells us that before they can get the gift of the Holy Ghost, it has to come uh, through mighty prayer. Uh, so, so he's not even, be, before we even get to the point where someone can give the gift of the Holy Ghost, that person has to first call upon the Father in the name of Christ in mighty prayer. Uh, not just prayer and mighty prayer. I, lo I love that terminology, that concept. It's the idea that, you know, it's, a, it's more than just saying a few words. It's actually communicating with God, letting him know our will, uh, letting him know uh, our righteous desires. And we'll see prayer is a, is a constant theme kind of uh, sprinkled throughout these next few verses or next few chapters that we'll be uh, reading uh, and, and studying the rest of today's lesson. Uh, and, you know, as I was studying, it kind of, it really caught my attention how, how often uh, the, the notion of prayer is mentioned and, and the ways it's mentioned. And again, this is one of them. Or when I says, before you even can convey the gift of the Holy Ghost, you first have to supplicate God in the name of Jesus Christ in mighty prayer. And so I was thinking, why, why is that? Why, you know, I, I don't, you know, I've, had the privilege of giving the gift of the, uh, or, uh, uh, you know, using my Melchizedek priesthood authority after someone who was baptized to help them receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, I didn't approach the Lord in mighty prayer before each and every one of those uh, circumstances, each one of those events. Uh, did, did I do something wrong? 
Well, I think it's important to remember that, that prayer, as we have it defined in the Bible dictionary, is the act by which the will of the father and the will of the child are brought into correspondence with each other. So we've, we've talked about this before, but I, I, as I think about prayer, to me, this is the most fundamental aspect of prayer. It's us communicating with God for the purpose of aligning our two wills. And of course, when I humbly pray, my goal is not to tell Heavenly Father to change His will to come into line with my will. But when I pray in faith and when I humbly pray, it's for the purpose of changing my heart, changing my will, so that it comes in lines, comes in line with God's will. So I become, my will becomes one with His. And so in everything that we do in the church, that should be our goal, that what we do is in line with God's will. So as we read these and as we see how, how prevalent prayer is in each of these uh, ordinances and different functions that Moroni talks about in the church, uh, it's not surprising then that uh, prayer is such an important aspect uh, of each and every one of these functions. Everything we do in the church, we should be seeking the will of the Lord. We should be striving to do what he wants us to do within his church. Now, of course, that does not mean that every calling is given by direct inspiration uh, in which the Holy Ghost whispers the name of the, of, of the calling recipient uh, in, in the bishop or the branch president's ear. You know, I've, I've been in branch presidencies before. You know, my experience, and maybe this was because we as a branch presidency weren't always doing what we we're supposed to. But, you know, a lot of times it's just, oh, we have a, we have a need. There's a person that could fill that need. Uh, it doesn't seem to be problematic. Uh, so we, we go for it. You know, we don't wait for inspiration to guide each and every one. I'm a firm believer that the Lord gave us each a, a sound mind and good judgment. And he expects us to use those, especially as we grow uh, in spiritual maturity. We shouldn't have to... Uh, approach the Lord for every decision uh, that we are required to make. Now that said, uh, we should always be seeking the Lord's will. Uh, and again, that doesn't have to come through prayer every time, but prayer is the way in which we let the Lord know that we want his, we want to do his will. And if, you know, the answers don't always come while we're on our knees, we pray at the beginning of the day that the Lord will guide us. And as we pray to seek his will, and as we try to do everything in accordance with his will, as needed, the Lord will guide us and give us the inspiration that we need throughout the day. And then the rest of the time, he expects us to use our agency to make wise decisions, to exercise our faith through agency, uh, trusting that he is there guiding us and, and helping us to to. Uh, giving us the inspiration that we need as we need it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, again, the overall important theme to take away is that the, the Lord, uh, we, we need to seek the will of the Lord in everything that we do in the church through mighty prayer, prayers that are not just rote memorizations, but that you know, break through the ceiling uh, so that everything that we do within the church is in accordance with the will of the Lord. So from chapter two, uh, the fundamentals of receiving or giving and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, uh, we go to chapter three, 
uh, in which we talk about uh, ordaining uh, priests and teachers within the church. And let's read verses 2 through 4 in chapter 3. After they had prayed unto the Father in the name of Christ, they laid their hands upon them and said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I ordain you to be a priest, or if he be a teacher, I ordain you to be a teacher, to preach repentance and remission of sins through Jesus Christ by endurance of faith on his name to the end. Amen. And after this manner did they ordain priests and teachers according to the gifts and callings of God unto men. And they ordained them by the power of the Holy Ghost, which was in them. So again, we see in verse 2 here, uh, this idea that after they had prayed unto the Father in the name of Christ, they laid their hands upon them. So before you ordain someone to a calling uh, within the church uh, or within the priesthood, uh, either one, you, you pray for that. You pray that what you're doing by giving this calling or giving this priesthood responsibility is uh, consistent with the will of God. Uh, and, and again, we're always seeking to make sure our wills are in line with God's will. Uh, and once we have done that, uh, then we are ordaining and calling people to various responsibilities within the church, within this body of Christ. And again, the focus of this body of Christ is to keep people, uh, keep its members on the straight and narrow, uh, strengthening each other, encouraging each other, teaching each other. And we'll get into this further in chapter 6. Uh, but in verse 3, it says the purpose is uh, very explicitly to preach repentance and remissions of, and remission of sins through Jesus Christ, by the endurance of faith on his name to the end. And it seems to me like that is the purpose of every single calling within the church. To encourage church members to repent, to call upon the name of Jesus Christ, to receive a remission of their sins by the endurance of faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we do should be motivated by encouraging others to have faith, to repent, and to exercise that faith to a remission of their sins. That is the purpose of everything that we do in the church. So as we, you know, it's interesting. We've had almost a year in which we've not been consistently going to church. Uh, my calling and my branch is in the Sunday school. We haven't had Sunday school for, gosh, at least a year uh, seems like at least a year. It might not be quite a year, but it's been a long time uh, since we've had a, an actual Sunday school class where we've all been gathered together. We do an optional Zoom thing, but uh, let's be honest, it's, it's, it's different. It's optional. It's, it's, it's very different than it used to be. And if you work in primary, uh, you know your calling has been very, very different. If you work in young men's, young women's, uh, again, very, very different. Basically, every calling, we've had a year to sit back and reflect what is it that I can be doing when we're not meeting together? And what is it that I should be doing? What do I look forward to be doing uh, once we get back together again? And again, in each case, the purpose of our callings are to preach repentance and remissions of sins through Jesus Christ by the endurance of faith. We're to preach faith to preach repentance. And when we say preach repentance, that does not, of course, mean that we're out there preaching, uh, you know, hellfire and brimstone, uh, but rather we're encouraging everyone to, to keep the commandments, to follow the Spirit, 
to pray continually, to, to, and, and again, praying so that we will know the will of God, so that we will know what he wants us to do uh, in different circumstances, that we will have the Holy Ghost to be with us, to lead us and to guide us, to help us to make the right decisions. It's, it's, the assignment is to love and to bring people to Jesus Christ and encourage faith in Jesus Christ. That is what the purpose of every single calling is. And then in verse 4, I love it, how it says, According to the gifts and callings of God unto men, we are each given different gifts, and from time to time we are each put in different callings. And as, we, and as I just talked about, it's, it's not my testimony that every single calling is, is, is given directly by inspiration. It, it's not. That's not reality. Uh, often you have a vacancy. You have a person that can, seems it would make sense that they'd be a good fit to fill that vacancy and you go for it. Uh, now, of course, there are many, many instances in which the Lord does get involved and he does inspire uh, leaders, both men and women, to, to make certain callings. That absolutely happens. Um, but I would propose that's probably the minority of the time. Uh, most of the time, the Lord expects us to, to do our best with the gifts and the callings that we have been given as we seek to align the gifts and the callings of other people. And of course, we as a church, it's, it's you know, interesting as callings are assigned and as people fulfill different responsibilities, uh, the purpose is not is is never to find uh, the single most competent person for any given position. It's very different from a corporation uh, in which people are promoted, in which people are assigned to different positions based on their their strengths and their capabilities. Often in the church, someone is put in a in a calling in a position because they lack certain strengths and certain capabilities that by magnifying their calling, they would be able to develop and be able to receive uh, a blessing from God uh, in strengthening those callings and, and making those weak things become strengths uh, as, we, as we studied last week. Um, so, uh, and because of that, we need to be sensitive to other people because we don't know uh, why that person has been put in that position. Was it because... There just happened to be a vacancy and it, it made sense to fill it? Or was it because the Lord inspired whoever it was with, tasked with the duty of making the calling? And why would the Lord inspire them? Was it because they were the best for the position? Or was it because they needed the help? Um, and if it is the latter, and let's keep in mind it could always be the latter in any given situation. It could always be the case that the person put in that calling is there because they need that help, because they need that experience to develop in areas in which they currently are lacking. And so we, as church members, uh, we need to be kind and we need to be sensitive to those other members as they struggle to fulfill their calling. Uh, we need to make sure that if it is the case that the Lord put them in that calling to help them learn, that you know the last thing we would want to do would be to, to criticize or make fun of or heaven forbid, make their calling more difficult to fulfill uh, because we're unhappy with the way that they do something. Uh, we need to act in love and to charity, and charity uh, to support each other, uh, to help each other become uh, the best that we can. Okay, and then so from there, so we've talked about how to get the power to give the gift of the Holy Ghost. We've talked about different callings and responsibilities uh, within the church body. 
And with chapters 4 and 5, we now move on to the administration of the sacrament. And of course, these words are familiar enough. We hear them uh, every week, or at least we used to hear them every week. Hopefully, we'll be hearing them every week again very soon, um, if, you, if you're not able to now. Uh, but, you know, we're very, very familiar with these words. Um, so I think I just quickly want to talk about the, uh, the sacrament in general and some thoughts, you know, th that I've had, especially as I have been uh, frustrated uh, with the current situation and, uh, you know, our inability to, to meet together uh, as a body of saints to, to enjoy each other's uh, companionship and uh, especially to partake of the sacrament uh, together as well. Uh, of, of all the things, we've, we've seen a number of things within the church uh, become uh, virtualized or digitized uh, over the past year. Uh, we can now, there's now a digital prayer role uh, in which you can, rather than having to actually go to the temple, write down the names and put them in a little box. I haven't done this yet, but apparently it's possible to put names, add names to the temporal prayer roll uh, virtually. So, you know, that's something that used to be only done online, uh, you know, in, in physically, but, but now we've made it a, a, a virtual uh, process, or at least it can be a virtual process. Uh, many of our, and of course our meetings are the same way. You know, it's, it's interesting how, you know, we, we would never record our sacrament meetings and, you know, occasionally you'd bring, a, you know, a, a, a non-member or someone who was there for the first time or wasn't familiar with uh, the way we do things to a sacrament meeting, maybe a primary presentation, and they'd hold up their cameras to, to take a picture or to record, and we'd quickly tell them, no, 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 that's, that's not appropriate to do. Well, now we're doing virtual <laughs> sacrament meetings, so uh, sharing testimonies together. Um, so, you know, it seems like the rules uh, have changed. Many things that used to be physically only, you had to be there. Uh, it's, it's no longer the case. Uh, now these things uh, can be done uh, virtually. But the sacrament, obviously, at least we haven't figured out how, or to my knowledge, uh, is not being done virtually. Uh, we have not taken the step in which over Zoom or over some other digital platform, uh, at least to my knowledge, uh, we have not taken the step where, uh, you know, you would have a, a, a single sister in her house uh, preparing a piece of bread and water, and then uh, the, the blessing is administered uh, over, over Zoom or, or some other uh, technology. Uh, that is still a physical process, the process of preparing and blessing and administering the sacrament. It's still something uh, physically done uh, by a, a priesthood holder, which, uh, which I find interesting. Um, because, of course, in many ways, the sacrament is as physical as one can get. You're taking bread, the most basic substance of, of the most basic food, the most basic substance of life. It doesn't get any more basic than, than bread. And then water. Talk about basic. My goodness. It's all you need is bread and water. Those are the two most basic food and liquids. And of course, those are the things that we need more than anything else in order to physically uh, survive and, 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 and stay alive is bread, is food and water, uh, bread and water in particular. So 
the sacrament is the is as basically physical as you can possibly get. And of course, the process of, of taking the sacrament is also a very physical process. We, we take the bread and we put it into our physical bodies. Uh, that is so physical, so tangible. Um, and we are not to the point, and I don't know if we ever will be, in which we can in some ways uh, replace that with something other than physical bread, physically blessed uh, in the presence uh, of a priesthood holder. Uh, and of course, the water is the same as well. But while this is so basically physical, it is also 100% spiritual in its nature. You know, the, the bread itself is so simple. Water is as simple as it gets. These are very simple foods and very simple waters, uh, very simple liquids. And one does not take them for the purpose. You know, you, you don't take it because it tastes good. You don't take it because it's filling. You don't take it because it's especially fancy or in other ways physically satisfying. And so while this is as physical uh, an element or, or action or ordinances one could possibly get, it is at the same time as spiritual as you can possibly get. It's as symbolic as you can get. Even though it is 100% physical, it's, it's in some ways not intended to be physical because it's so basic. Uh, you know, you would never, uh, I don't think anyone gets excited about the taste of the sacrament bread or gets excited because they're so thirsty that, yay, there's a little, a little cup of water to, to quench my physical thirst, uh, fast Sundays being the exception. But uh, even, again, even though it's so physical, it's the same way not that physical, not intended to fulfill our physical needs, I should say. It is symbolic to the core. And so as we struggle to adjust to this world in which things that used to be only physical have, in, have become virtual or have become digitized, and this is a process that's been going on for decades, and uh, certainly the COVID situation has accelerated that in so many ways. You know, in my job, it used to be necessary for me to travel to Beijing or Shanghai often on a weekly basis to participate in different meetings for deals I was working on. Well, that's not possible anymore, and we've shifted to doing things virtually now. And oh my goodness, is it much more efficient? You don't have to spend hours traveling, fighting in airports, uh, you know, going to hotels, staying over the night. You can do it from your home, uh, zero travel time. Uh, and it's not quite as efficient, but it's close enough, uh, probably to compensate, uh, probably enough to compensate for for. Uh, for, for, uh, for the inconvenience that uh, was caused by the other way. And so it'll be interesting to see how, how things have adjusted in my work of business. And I'm sure there's aspects of your life in which you've seen huge uh, adjustments from physical to, to digital or, or virtual. And this is something that we were all confronting. And, you know, this is a, a brave new world that we're all going to have to try to uh, figure out together. Where is the line between uh, physical and, and virtual, what has to be done physically and what has to be done virtually. Um, and, and as we struggle to, to come to these new, to make these new decisions about where that line lies, 
it's so beautiful to have something like the sacrament that is physical. You are taking the bread, eating it in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And the physical is done to trigger the spiritual, to help us remember Jesus Christ. That is why we do it, not for the physical satisfaction uh, that we get. Uh, and I wanted to share a, uh, a few thoughts from a, a talk called The Sacramental Covenant by, uh, <clears throat> uh, by Elder uh, Ballard. Um, uh, the senior elder Ballard, Elder, uh, elder uh, Melvin Ballard, in which he stated, I suggest that perhaps some of us are ashamed to come to the sacrament table because we feel unworthy and are afraid lest we eat and drink of these sacred emblems to our own condemnation. And so we want every Latter-day Saint to come to the sacrament table because it is the place for self-investigation, for self-inspection, where we may learn to rectify our course and to make right our own lives bringing ourselves into harmony with the teachings of the church and with our brethren and sisters. It is the place where we become our own judges. I love that idea is that, yes, we're told not to partake of the sacrament unworthily, but whether or not we do that, we are our own judges. And the purpose of the sacrament is to come to a judgment bar on a weekly basis where we can reflect how are we doing? And so maybe the commandment not to take of these things unworthily simply means this is a time in which you are going to reflect upon your own worthiness. Don't do that haphazardly. Don't uh, make it so uh, you know, matter of fact, uh, something that you take for granted and you don't even think about. It's become so, so rote, it's just become uh, you know, kind of like a, a reflex that you do once a week when the bread and water are passed. Don't, don't fall into that trap. Every week, take time to reflect upon your relationship with your Savior, how you did during the previous week, what you need to do better in the coming week. Uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful idea. And Elder Ballard uh, continues in his talk. <clears throat> I know that no man or woman shall ever come to stand in the presence of our Father in heaven, or be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ, who does not grow spiritually. Without spiritual growth, we shall not be prepared to enter into the divine presence. I need the sacrament. I need to renew my covenant every week. I need the blessing that comes with and through it. Powerful idea. The purpose of the sacrament is for us to come every week to reflect on how we're doing, how we're keeping that covenant, uh, and he's very clear about it. We cannot stand in the presence of God uh, unless we grow spiritually. And the way that we grow spiritually is by reflecting upon uh, how we did the week before, frequently making those same reflections. And the sacrament is intended to give us that opportunity on a weekly basis that we take advantage of it. Uh, clearly, that's not something the Nephites were taking advantage of. That's not something that they were doing right uh, as they struggled against the Lamanites, as they fought against each other, and as pride entered into their church. Uh, perhaps Moroni recognizes that if only they had done this simple task, coming to the judgment bar on a weekly basis and reflecting 
you know, introspecting, thinking, what can I do better? How do I need to be better? How do I need to change my life? If only they had done this, perhaps Moroni would not be wandering in the wilderness, uh, trying to avoid the Lamanites at this point in his life. And with that, let's turn to uh, chapter 6, uh, the final chapter in today's reading. And uh, we're essentially going to read all of the verses here. Uh, so let's start with verses 1 and 3 as we, as we talk about other aspects of the church uh, that, that makes the church function uh, in a way so that it fulfills its responsibility to help its members uh, draw closer to Christ. Verses 1 through 3. And now I speak concerning baptism. Behold, elders, priests, and teachers were baptized, and they were not baptized, save they brought forth fruit, meat, that they were worthy of it. Neither did they receive any unto baptism, save they came forth with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and witnessed unto the church that they truly repented of all their sins. And none were received unto baptism, save they took upon them the name of Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end. So here, Moroni outlines several prerequisites uh, before baptism. One, we have to bring forth fruit, meat, that they are worthy of baptism. We have to demonstrate that we are worthy of it. We have to show that, that we have changed. Two, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Uh, so not only do we have to show that we've actually changed, we have to actually change. Um, obviously, these first two go closely together. Uh, one is that the change has taken place, and two is that uh, our actions reflect that that change has taken place. Three, that we've truly repented of all their sins. Uh, which is, sounds like a serious one. Uh, sounds like a very difficult one. Of course, that doesn't mean they won't sin again going forward. We all do. And that's what the atonement of Christ is for. But those who are baptized uh, have to take it seriously. Uh, it's not something where you can pick and choose which commandments you are going to keep, uh, but that we have repented of all of our sins. And then four, take, took upon them the name of Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end. Now, of course, each of these is very hard to judge. And interestingly, within our church, the decisions as to whether or not someone is worthy to be baptized are left up to young missionaries in their early, in their late teen, early 20s, which is fascinating if you think about it. Um, but that is the criteria that Moroni set down. Perhaps in his church, uh, they had much looser criteria, or perhaps they didn't have any criteria. Um, perhaps those that were baptized were not at all ready to be baptized. Uh, but Moroni tells us, looking back in uh, you know, retrospect himself, that you know, this is the way we should be doing it. We should be baptizing people when they are ready to be baptized. When they have demonstrated that they are worthy to be baptized, when they have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, when they've repented of all of their sins, and when they, have, uh, when, they are willing, and when they are willing to take upon themselves the name of Christ, a determination to serve him to the end, because that's what we do when we're baptized. We take upon ourselves the name of Christ. We become his, just in the same way that 
Uh, a woman traditionally takes upon herself her husband's name when she is married as a demonstration to the entire world that she is no longer uh, as closely tied to her previous family as she used to be, but she's in some ways left that family behind and joined, created a new family uh, with her husband. When we are baptized, we demonstrate to the world that we have left our previous lives behind and we have taken upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ and we are creating a new life with him, with him as our head uh, and we will strive to serve and to honor and to keep his commandments, uh, determination to serve him to the end. So uh, baptism is something that we should take seriously. I was baptized when I was eight. Did I take it that seriously then? Probably not. As an eight-year-old, how could I have? Um, I'm grateful that those decisions were, were decisions that I made later in my life, uh, ones that I took and continue to take uh, seriously. Um, but uh, you know, baptism is not something to, to be taken lightly. Uh, it is a, a serious thing, and I hope that... Uh, as we talk about it and help others to prepare for it, uh, that, that that seriousness is something that, uh, that we retain. Uh, verse 4, And after they had been received unto baptism and were brought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, they were numbered among the people of the Church of Christ. And their names were taken that they might be remembered and nourished by the good word of God, to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful unto prayer, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and finisher of their faith. Uh, great stuff in here. Uh, you know, once they were baptized and cleansed by the Holy Ghost, uh, they were numbered as part of this body, this close-knit community of individuals who believe and strive for the same things. Uh, and they were taught to in order the, the purpose of their teaching, of them being taught, was to keep them in the right way, keep them continually watchful unto prayer, and keep them relying upon the merits of Christ. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job of number one in the church. We members are generally very aware of what the commandments are. Um, Perhaps we overemphasize that in some ways, to, if that's possible. Getting so wrapped up in, in different commandments or, uh, you know, it, but, you know, as, as I think about it, as we talk about the right way, you know, what, what is the right way? I think in some ways Moroni is stripping down and, and helping us to focus what is really the right way, what is really important. And he's stripping away those aspects that aren't that important. Those aspects that are more socially oriented, or perhaps they become part of our church culture. Uh, and while they're not necessarily bad, they might not necessarily be the right way. Uh, continually watchful under prayer. We've talked today about the importance of prayer and how its purpose is to align our will with God. Do we teach that as we teach about prayer? And do we help others to, to understand that they have their will, and then there's God's will. Ideally, those things are aligned, and the purpose of prayer is to bring those things into alignment. Uh, it's not always the case that everything we do is the will of God. 
but if we are humble and full of faith, we strive to fulfill the will of God, to do the will of God. And in order to do that, we first have to know it. And the process that we struggle and strive to know that will is what prayer is. And then finally, keep them relying upon the merits of Christ. Sometimes I wonder if this is an area where we as a church don't do as good a job as we should. Uh, Do we get so focused on different commandments or different uh, activities or, or different responsibilities that we make people that people start to think that in order to be saved, there's a big long checklist of things that they have to fulfill. Uh, are we sufficiently telling and making sure that people know that it is upon the merits of Jesus Christ that we will be saved? That's the only way we will ever be saved. And so that is where uh, their focus has to be. And that is where their faith has to be focused upon, upon Jesus Christ and his grace, his mercy, and his merits. Uh, Five through six, and the church did meet together off to fast, to pray, uh, to fast and to pray, and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. And they did meet together off to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. So we've we've talked about, uh, you know, the sacrament here. We've talked about some the the importance of, Uh, of meeting together oft. Uh, You know, I was thinking about this today during the lesson as, you know, as as much as we've tried to replace the physical sacrament meeting, we're all gathered together in the meeting house uh, with with Zoom calls or whatever different technological approaches we're using. My view is it comes up short, drastically short. Uh, maybe it's my own weakness, but, uh, actually I'm sure it is my own weakness and you'll probably think less of me as I tell you this, but my zoom sacrament meeting started at 10 o'clock today. I woke up at, when I woke up, kind of hung out in my bed and at 10 o'clock still wearing my pajamas, went over and logged in, uh, you know, carried my iPad around. So I continued to listen as I prepared breakfast as an, I ate, as I ate breakfast you know, I put my spoon down to, to sing the hymns and I closed my eyes during the prayers. But as the talks were going on, I was eating, uh, probably read a few emails or got distracted in other ways. It's, it's just so different. And again, this is reflecting my own weaknesses, uh, my own inabilities. If I was more diligent, I certainly would have woken up and, you know, dressed in a white shirt and tie and, and been focused. Um, but, you know, let's, let's be honest, it's, it's not the same. Uh, and we know that. Um, and I think and because of that, we're all anxious to get back to where uh, we can gather together again under normal circumstances. And, and on that thought, I want to share uh, some thoughts. A few years ago, uh, Elder Bednar gave a great talk called Things As They Really Are. And he talked about the dangers of, um, <clears throat> of virtual technology. Uh, and the dangers that he specifically spoke on was when you use virtual technology and do things with that technology that you would never ever do in real life. And as a result, that, that uh, dumbs down your, that numbs your senses. You know, for example, you play a, a first person shooter game where you go around, you know, killing different people. Uh, you know, it's all done virtually. You're not harming anyone. Um, but 
does that desensitize your soul as you virtually carry out actions that are, are, are physically uh, absolutely forbidden uh, because of the detrimental impact they have upon the soul? It, it's, it's a great talk. If you haven't read it in a while, uh, it's interesting to read again in the context of the coronavirus situation in which, again, so much of our prior physical life has now been converted to, uh, to, to the virtual world. And with that as a backdrop, I want to read uh, this quote from Elder Bednar. Our physical bodies make possible a breadth, a depth, and an intensity of experience that simply could not be obtained in our pre-mortal's estate. President Boyd K. Packer, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles at the time, has taught, Our spirit and our body are combined in such a way that our body becomes an instrument of our mind and the foundation of our character. Thus, our relationship with other people, our capacity to recognize and act in accordance with truth, and our ability to obey the principles and ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ are amplified through our physical bodies. In the classroom of mortality, we experience tenderness, love, kindness, happiness, sorrow, disappointment, pain, and even the challenges of physical limitations in ways that prepare us for eternity. Simply stated, there are lessons we must learn and experiences we must have, as the scriptures describe, according to the flesh. So this was given 13 years ago, I believe. And of course, he had no idea when he gave this talk. In fact, it was, it was longer than that. That today we'd be in a situation in which we're forced to hold virtual sacrament meetings, where we're first forced to hold virtual Sunday schools, where all of our, many of our ministering responsibilities are carried out virtually, where different leadership meetings are held virtually. So many things that used to be reserved for the realm of physical is now being done virtual. Many of those things are good, and I hope many of them will continue because they provide uh, convenience and, and make our lives easier, giving us more time to spend with family and doing more meaningful things. But there are things that cannot be converted to the virtual. There are things that in order to have the full bodied experience that we are intended to have, the very purpose for which we left pre-mortality to come down here to receive a physical body, those things have to be done physically. And I believe sacrament meeting is one of those things. You know, we're going to make it through this time, hopefully within the next few months, there'll be enough vaccinations out there that we'll get herd immunity and we'll be able to go back to our normal lives. Uh, and until then, we're going to struggle trying to make virtual what should be physical. But that's one thing that I've learned uh, in the past few uh, months, is that there are things that should be kept uh, physical. And as we as a society, we as a church struggle to draw those lines, uh, let's not get so comfortable with the virtual uh, that we neglect the purpose for which, the physical purposes for which we came to this earth. Uh, and Elder Bednar's great, th this talk that he gave, again, it's uh, one that I highly recommend. And it ends with, with this beautiful thought about the, dis the distinction between the virtual and the real. 
I testify that God lives and is our Heavenly Father. He is the author of the plan of salvation. Jesus is the Christ, the Redeemer whose body was bruised, broken, and torn for us as he offered the atoning sacrifice. He is resurrected. He lives and he stands at the head of his church in these latter days to be encircled about eternally in the arms of his love will be a real and not a virtual experience. I love, love that quote. Beautifully drawing that line, reminding us that there are things that can be done virtually, but when it comes to our relationship with God, those have to be real. Those are not things that can be recreated digitally or carried out virtually. They have to be real. They are physical to their very core. Uh, so let's get through this together and then let's get back to, uh, to the real, to the physical, to the purpose that we came here for this earth. And, and let's end on that note. We'll, we'll skip the last few verses. Uh, read them yourselves. They're, they're beautiful. They provide their own important lessons. But uh, I think uh, Elder Bednar's sweet testimony of the realness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is how I want to end this lesson. We'll get through these periods of isolation, of social distancing, of, of virtual meetings together through our faith in Jesus Christ. And before long, this will be a distant uh, nightmare of a memory and we'll be uh, back together uh, within, our, uh, within our physical ward units, meeting together in our actual buildings, having physical Sunday school and Relief Society and Elders Quorum classes where we can enjoy each other's presence, enjoy each other's company and enjoy each other's testimony and faith because that's what churches are for. Churches are designed to strengthen us, to build us up, to keep us on the right way, and to remind us that we are constantly uh, relying upon the merits and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I testify that his mercy is a real thing. The Spirit is wonderful. It is, the, the, the Spirit can never, is never something that will be able to be downloaded. It cannot be digitized or virtualized. It is something, those spiritual experiences that we all need have to be real. They have to be experienced by yourself. And they have to be experienced with our actual spirits, not virtually, not something to be downloaded. Uh, so I pray that as we strive to find this balance between the virtual and the real. I think Moroni's lessons have, have real world applications for us as he, again, as he struggled to find those things that will be most important to us, to us in the latter days, as we try to build up a church community in order to strengthen each other and help each other and prevent each other from falling into the traps that eventually befell the Lamanites. Uh, it's my testimony and my belief that uh, this church is the most effective way in the world in order to keep us in the right way, to bring us closer to Jesus Christ so that we can have those real experiences with him. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>